Every building, regardless of what kind of structure it may be, consists of a number of different parts. And those parts, of course, have to be constructed and have to be assembled together. And all of those parts then will come together to comprise the whole. When the Bible talks about the church, one of the pictures that it paints of the church is of a building, a temple. And the Bible tells us that each member of the church is an individual part of that building or of that temple. And the bringing the parts together to build up the whole, the Bible has a word for that, and that word is edifying or edification. The word edification means literally to strengthen and to build up the church. Listen to these passages. In Romans 14, verse 19, Paul said, Therefore, let us pursue the things which make for peace and the things whereby we may edify one another. Recall that that is in the midst of a context in which Paul is dealing with matters of judgment. We studied that chapter just a month or so ago. And in the midst of all of the judgment matters and disagreements, Paul says that the emphasis, the main point for every member and every person is to pursue those things which will cause the church to be edified or built up. Listen to Romans 15 verse 2. It's found in the same context. Paul says this, Let each one please his neighbor for his good, leading to edification. In Ephesians 4, verse 19, the topic switches from our action to our words. And listen to what Paul says about our words. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, he says, but what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. It might interest you to note that if you'll go back to the first verse of Ephesians chapter 4 and read from verse 1, up through verse 29, that the primary emphasis of the chapter has been the building up the health and the unity of the church of Christ. And so naturally then, as Paul will deal with our speech, his challenge is that whatever it is that we say and however we say it, the goal for every word must be that which is good for the edifying or the building up of the body of Christ. Do my words hurt the church or do my words help the church? That's the question of that passage. How about 1 Corinthians 14 verse 26? Let all things be done for edification. A statement taken out of a passage in which the Apostle Paul is dealing with in the first century context the miraculous gifts that were available to the church at that time. And you may remember that in the church at Corinth, there was a great deal of disagreement about spiritual gifts. And some would say, well, my spiritual gift is more valuable than yours. And so that makes me more valuable than you to the body. And so going all the way back to chapter 12, Paul will say, no, no, that's that's not the case at all. In fact, every member of the body, regardless of how uh, insignificant they might seem to humanize, every member of the body is a valuable part of the whole. And so as he transitions then and he builds on that argument in chapter 13 to talk about love being motivation and being the thing that lasts. And chapter 14 as he deals with some regulatory rules regarding speaking in tongues and things of that nature in the first century, he says, listen, 
whatever it is that you do when you come together to worship, make sure that they're all done for the purpose of building up the church. Here's one more passage, Jude 20. This passage tells us that we have the obligation even to see to our own edification. Jude says, but you, be, uh, but you uh, building up yourselves on your most holy faith, we even have the obligation to take care of our own edification to a degree. When we think about edification, though, and when we think about the importance of building up the body of Jesus Christ, not only are there a number of passages that come to mind, but there are also some people that come to mind, people that we read about in the first century church. Someone like Paul would come to mind. Someone like Timothy, perhaps, maybe Epaphroditus in Philippians chapter 2. But I would suggest to you that when we think about edification, the one person that ought to come to mind more frequently than anyone else is Barnabas. I want you to turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Acts tonight, and I want us to just simply survey some passages that tell us some things about Barnabas. We're not told a whole lot about this man. We do know that his name was Joseph or Joseph. We know that he was a, we know that he was a, uh, a Jew of the country of Cyprus, a Levite. We know that he had some wealth, some land, because of what he does with it in Acts chapter 4. But other than that, we don't know really anything about this man and his background. But what we do know is that as the Bible mentions him, particularly in the book of Acts, over and over again, as he is mentioned, he is mentioned in the context of someone who is interested in building up the church in a number of different ways. His name, as you recall, means literally the son of consolation. And he is described in Acts 11 and verse 24 as a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith. And so we have a good man who is our subject this evening. And I want us to notice some ways, five ways, in which Barnabas edified the church. Number one, if you have your Bibles open to the book of Acts, I invite you to Acts chapter 4, verse 36 and 37. And I want us to notice that Barnabas edified the church by sacrificing to meet the need. He sacrificed to meet the need. Listen to Acts 4. We're going to begin in verse number 34. Actually, let's begin in verse 32. The Bible says, Now the multitude of those who believed were of one heart and one soul. Neither did any say that any of the things which he possessed was his own, but they all had, they had, excuse me, but they had all things in common. And with great power, the apostles gave witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. Nor was there anyone among them who lacked, for all who were possessors of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds to the apostles' feet. And they distributed to each as anyone had need. And Joseph, who is also named Barnabas by the apostles, which is translated the son of encouragement, a Levite of the country of Cyprus, having land, sold it and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. Now keep in mind as you study Acts 4, verse 36 and 37, this first time that we're introduced to Barnabas, keep in mind the context of what's going on all the way back to Acts chapter 2. It was the day of Pentecost, you remember, and there were a great number of Jews from all over the world that had traveled to Jerusalem, and what was their purpose? 
Their purpose in traveling to Jerusalem was to observe the feast at Pentecost, and yet about 3,000 of them, according to Acts chapter 2, became Christians on that day, and the Bible tells us that those Christians stayed in Jerusalem. Now, we have no way of knowing, of course, how long they originally intended to stay in Jerusalem when they left their homes and came to observe the Feast of Pentecost, but it's safe to say that they stayed longer than they originally anticipated staying. Well, here's the question. If you pack your bags and you go somewhere and you've packed for a week and you end up staying for a month, what do you end up having to do in the, in, while you're there? You're probably going to have to go to the store and you're going to have to buy some extra clothing. You're going to have to make sure that you have food, maybe some extra money. You see, there are needs that you're going to have, necessities that you're going to have that you didn't originally plan for and so you didn't pack them, you didn't bring them with you. I think it's safe to assume that in Acts chapter 4 verse 32 and following, that's exactly what's going on here. We have a number of Christians, new Christians, who have come to Jerusalem, and here they are with their brothers and sisters, but they're staying longer than they intended to stay. How will they be able to meet their needs? Well, the Bible tells us. The Bible tells us that those who had land, they sold it, they laid the proceeds at the apostles' feet, and we specifically are told of Barnabas who sold his land and brought the money to the apostles' feet. And Barnabas is mentioned not only because the Bible wants us to know who he is for the great work he'll do later, but he's also mentioned in contrast to a couple that comes in the very next verse. And that's Ananias and Sapphira. You see, there were those who sold land and laid the proceeds at the apostles' feet like Barnabas, but they didn't have to do that. They chose to. They were generous and sacrificial. They saw a need that needed to be met. And so they sacrificially functioned in order to meet that need. Ananias and Sapphira, on the other hand, with, uh, with wickedness in their eyes, they looked at this perhaps being envious, jealous of the praise that Barnabas and others like him were, were receiving for their action. They sold land. They held back part of the price. They lied about what they had done, and it cost them their lives. Barnabas is presented to us as a man who helped to build up the church by sacrificing to meet the needs. He was a generous man. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 1 and following, by the way, tells us all about the need to be generous. And Barnabas was exactly that. Let's continue reading. Look at Acts chapter 9. In Acts chapter 9, in verse number 27, we come to... The, uh, uh, the conversion of the Apostle Paul, or Saul, as his name was at this point in his, in his life and in his work. And I want you to begin reading with me in verse number 26. The Apostle Paul is a Christian now, and he began preaching back up in verse number 20. He's been preaching in Damascus. And uh, then he's run out of town in verse 23 through 25, and he makes his way back to Jerusalem in verse 26 but look what the Bible says about it. It says, when Saul had come to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples. But they were all afraid of him and did not believe that he was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. And he declared to them how he had seen the Lord on the road, how he had spoken to him, and how he had preached boldly at Damascus in the name of Jesus. So he was with them at Jerusalem, coming in and going out. And he spake boldly in the name of the Lord Jesus and disputed against the Hellenists, but they attempted to kill him.
And we'll stop right there. Now, it's not difficult, I think, to put ourselves in the shoes of the first century brethren dwelling in Jerusalem in Acts 9. These are folks who knew who Saul was by name. They knew who he was by reputation, and it wasn't a good name, and it wasn't a good reputation. Paul, uh, Saul, rather, was, as you know, given the, the task of going out and finding Christians and harming them and rounding them up, arresting them, bringing back to Jerusalem. He was converted, you remember, on the, the road to Damascus as, as he had set out to do just that. And so it's no surprise then, at least in my mind, for these Christians to have been slightly suspicious of the Apostle Paul. But think about this also. Put yourself in the shoes of Saul himself. He has left Jerusalem The last time that he stepped foot in this city was whenever he received his orders to go out and to round up Christians, and he hasn't come back with Christians, he's come back as a Christian. What does that mean? That means that his companions or his old associates back in Jerusalem certainly would have known of his conversion. His old associates would have known of his conversion, and his new brethren knew of his persecution, and so Paul went back to Jerusalem in a very delicate and a very difficult position, and so enter in Barnabas, the son of consolation. Paul's desire, according to Acts 9, verse 26, the Bible says, is to join the disciples. Now, we have different terminology for that today. We refer to it as placing membership or identifying with a congregation. That's basically what Saul is attempting to do. He's come back to Jerusalem, he's looking for the Christians, and he wants to identify himself with them. They're suspicious of him, and so Barnabas steps to the forefront. Barnabas wraps his arm around him. He takes him before the brethren. He speaks on his behalf, and he makes sure, he makes sure that he finds a welcome amongst his brothers and sisters in Christ in this location. I want you to stop for a moment and I want you to try and put yourself in the shoes of Saul and imagine the appreciation that he must have felt at Barnabas extending this gesture on his behalf. Now I want you to stop for a moment and maybe you've been in this situation before and I want you to imagine placing yourself in the shoes of a person, a visitor, a a new Christian perhaps, who walks in the doors of the building, who seeks to identify themselves with the congregation and imagine the appreciation that would exist whenever someone here reaches out a hand, reaches out an arm and helps them to feel welcome among their brethren. It's an important task and that's the job That's the job that Barnabas set out to do. That's just the kind of person that he was. He sought to build up and edify the church by making sure that Paul received the welcome that he needed so that he could identify himself with the brethren at Jerusalem. Let's keep reading. Look at Acts chapter 11. Acts chapter 11, beginning in verse 19. How did Barnabas build up and edify the church? Let's read together Acts chapter 11, beginning in verse number 19. The Bible says this. Now those who were scattered after the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, preaching the word to no one but the Jews only. But some of them were men from Cyprus and Cyrene who, when they had come to Antioch, spoke to the Hellenists preaching the Lord Jesus, and the hand of the Lord was with them. And a great number believed and turned to the Lord. 
Then the news of these things came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent out Barnabas to go as far as Antioch. When he came and he had seen the grace of God, he was glad and he encouraged them that they, with purpose of heart, should continue with the Lord, for he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And a great many people were added to the Lord. Then Barnabas departed to Tarsus to find Saul, and when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. So it was that for a whole year they assembled there with the church and they taught a great many people and the disciples were first called Christians at Antioch. Now the Bible is clear on what is transpiring here. There are Gentiles who are becoming Christians at Antioch according to Acts chapter 11 and verse number 20 and when the church at Jerusalem hears that there are new Christians What do they do? They're looking for someone that they can send. You know, the Great Commission, Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 and following. Remember the Great Commission. We're to go into all the world and we're to make disciples of all nations, uh, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And then what? Teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. The pattern of the Great Commission is teach, baptize, and then teach. The church at Jerusalem recognized that point. And when they heard that there were new Christians, they said, we have to send someone to teach them. Who will it be? Well, it's Barnabas, of course. Why? Because Barnabas fit the qualifications. Verse 24, he was a good man. He was full of the Holy Spirit. He was full of faith. I want you to stop for a moment and think about the incredible compliment that the Holy Spirit gives Barnabas in this passage. I want you to imagine just for a moment that this congregation were to hear of a new congregation somewhere that had begun, that the elders of our congregation knew that there were new Christians in some location and that they needed desperately someone to go and teach them and encourage them and build them up in the faith so that they might be strengthened. And they got together and they thought, who in our congregation would fit the bill? Who do we know that is a good man? Who do we know that is full of faith? Who do we know that knows God's word and that would have a desire to build up and encourage and to teach? Would your name come to their mind? I would suggest to you that we all, we all ought to strive to that end, to be the kind of people that whenever the church realizes that there are some, there's someone who needs to be encouraged, there's someone who needs to be taught, there's someone who needs to be served in some way, I think that our goal should be for our name to come first to mind because we're known as being that type of person. Barnabas was that kind of a person. He built up the church. The church sent him to strengthen these new converts. He was exactly the person that they needed, and his reputation, his reputation made him known as such. What about yours? What about mine? As we continue reading through the book of Acts, in Acts chapters 12 through 14, we read about the first missionary journey of the apostle Paul And this is when Barnabas attaches himself to Paul and they travel together. We won't take the time tonight to read all of these, but I want to just point a few things out to you and you can write them down perhaps and go read them in your study at home. The the, uh, Barnabas 
the way that he sought to edify and build up the church is that he acted as a perfect support system to the Apostle Paul. In Acts 11, in verse number 30, it is Barnabas who is with Paul who goes out uh, collecting a contribution to bring to those who are dwelling in Jerusalem. In Acts chapter 13, verses 1 to 3, he departs on the first missionary journey with Paul. He is there with him when he confronts Elymas the sorcerer in Acts 13 and verse number 7. He is at Pisidian Antioch in Acts 13, verse 42 to 52, and he is not a silent partner, by the way. He has a teaching role, but he also has a suffering role. The Bible will tell us in Acts 13, verse 42 through 52, that Paul and Barnabas were both persecuted and run out of town by the unbelieving Jews in Antioch of Pisidia. He was with Paul in Lystra in Acts 14, verses 8 through 18. He was with Paul traveling, preaching, and exhorting brethren all over in Acts 14, verse 19 and following. And then I want you to notice what happens in Acts 15 because this is significant as well. You know, we looked in Acts chapter 11 at Barnabas being someone who the church trusted to go and build up new Christians. But in Acts chapter 15, verse 1 and following, we find Barnabas in a totally different role. Listen to what the Bible tells us. Certain men came down from Judea and taught the brethren, unless you were circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. Therefore, when Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and dispute with them, they determined that Paul and Barnabas and certain others of them should go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and elders about this question. So being sent on their way by the church... They passed through Phoenicia and Samaria, describing the conversion of the Gentiles, and they caused great joy to all of the brethren. Now, there are two things that are of note in these few verses that we've read. First of all, notice the conflict that's going on. We refer to this as the Judaizers. This is the Bible's definition of a Judaizing teacher. They're taking parts of the old law and they're merging it with the gospel. And what Paul will say in Galatians chapter 1 is that they have created an entirely new gospel. So this is a conflict. But notice that when conflict arises, this man who is known as the son of consolation, the same one who went and wrapped his arm around Saul and introduced him to the church at Jerusalem, the same one who sacrificed the same one who was trusted to go and gently build up and encourage the brethren, he's the one who's standing shoulder to shoulder with Paul as they go toe to toe with those who are preaching things that are wrong. Barnabas was uh, one who built up the church, and one of the ways in which he did that was, was by confronting those who were enemies of the church. But not only that, you remember in Acts chapter 11 that the church sent him in order to build up the brethren at Antioch, but they send him in Acts chapter 15 along with Paul to do what? To go to Jerusalem and to work through a problem. So again, if I'm setting goals for myself, spiritually speaking, not only do I need to set a goal to be the kind of person that would first be thought of whenever there's a need for someone to be encouraged and built up, 
But I also ought to be the kind of person whose name would come to mind first whenever there's some kind of conflict and some kind of problem. And so the church would say, listen, I know fill in the blank and this is the, this is the kind of person. He's grounded in the scripture. He has the right disposition and he'll stand firm on what God's word says and he'll deal, deal with the problem. Let's send him to deal with it. That's the kind of person that Barnabas was. Now look at the end of this chapter. Here's another way in which Barnabas sought to build up the church. Look at Acts 15, verse 36 and following. Acts 15, by the way, is a chapter of conflict. And if you're looking for a textbook uh, way in which the church is to deal with conflict, this is the chapter to study. But we go in Acts 15, 36 and following, we go from dealing with a church-wide conflict in the first 35 verses to now dealing with what we might describe as a personal conflict. Bible tells us this. Then after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, let us now go back to visit our brethren in every city where we preach the word of the Lord and see how they were doing. He's beginning his second missionary journey. Now Barnabas was determined to take with them John called Mark, but Paul insisted that they should not take with them the one who had departed from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. Then the contention became so sharp that they parted from one another, and so Barnabas took Mark and sailed to Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and departed, being commended by the brethren to the grace of God, and he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches." Now we have a conflict between Paul and between Barnabas. These two men who have been with one another and who have worked with one another, who have traveled with one another, who have preached together, who have suffered together, who have dealt with conflict together, and now they have a disagreement. How are they going to handle this disagreement? That's one question that needs to be considered as we study this context. And as the church, and we think about how we deal with disagreements with one another, we ought to look to Barnabas and Paul as a, uh, as a pattern in which to follow. You'll notice that these two, instead of, I'll just take my ball and go home, they just simply split the work. And so twice the work is, is, uh, twice the work is accomplished. But notice that the disagreement, of course, is over John Mark. For whatever reason, John Mark had left early. He had been with them before, and perhaps he had become discouraged for whatever reason, but he had left and he had gone home, and the Apostle Paul said, I'm not taking him with me again. Now, John Mark, according to Colossians 4, verse 10, was the cousin of Barnabas, and maybe that's the reason why Barnabas uh, fought for him so hard. Or maybe it's just because Barnabas saw some, some potential in John Mark that, that maybe Paul wasn't able to see. We don't know. But what we do know is that Barnabas fought for him, that Barnabas was determined to take him. Paul said no, and so they split, and Barnabas took him anyway. And then I want you to listen to what Paul writes in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 11, and see if Barnabas made the right decision. In 2 Timothy 4, and verse number 11, as... Paul concludes this epistle. He writes about the one who had forsaken him, Demas, in verse number 10. And then he says, only Luke is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you because he is useful to me for ministry. Evidently, Barnabas saw something in Mark and what Barnabas saw turned out to be right. 
Because now that we get toward the end of the life of the Apostle Paul, he sees Mark and he sees him in a different light. He says, this man is useful to me. How is it that, how is it that Barnabas edified the church in Acts 15 verse 36? It's because he didn't give up on someone who didn't need to be given up on. It's easy for us to do that sometimes. We try and we try and we see someone and we get to the point where we think the person's just not going to listen and we give up on them. We ought to be very careful doing that because sometimes, sometimes for a person it may take just a little more effort, a little more energy, just a little more time. And when we refrain from the temptation to give up on a person who's proving to be difficult to bring along in Christ Jesus, when we fight back that temptation, we just might find that when we get to the end of the road, they're useful for ministry like Paul said about Mark in 2 Timothy chapter 4. Barnabas fought for him and he encouraged him and he took him with him. He saw a teachable opportunity, a teaching opportunity, and he turned out to be right. Now, as we conclude, I want to point out one more passage to you. It's in Ephesians chapter 4, and I want us to just look at the end of the verse. In Ephesians 4 verse 16, I want you to look at this phrase. Ephesians 4 16, according to the effective working by which every part, that's talking about every part of the body, does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. Now we've studied about Barnabas this evening and we've seen five illustrations of ways in which Barnabas, to use the language of Ephesians 4.16, did his share to cause the growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. The challenge that I want to leave us with tonight is this. Think about Barnabas and try to put ourselves in his shoes and see if we measure up to the example that he sets in Scripture. And ask ourselves honestly if we are, like Barnabas, really the type of folks who could be known as the son of consolation. If we're the type of person that can be depended upon. If we're the type of person that it could honestly be said about us that we are doing all that we can to build up the church. Lesson is yours this evening. Now we offer the Lord's invitation, and maybe there's someone here that needs to respond, perhaps to become a Christian. If that's the case, then we stand ready and willing to be able to help you in doing it. Maybe tonight you are a Christian, and as you think about your life, maybe there are some areas in which you see some room for improvement, and certainly that could be said about all of us. Maybe you can see some areas in which you could have edified and built up the church in a way that was better and you failed, to, you failed to take advantage of those opportunities. Can we pray for you tonight? Can we strengthen you? Can we encourage you, build you up in some way? If you have need, we invite you to come forward and make it known while we stand and sing together.